You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today we're going to talk about the process of naming our children. But first, let's catch up on life lately. What's new with you, Abby? Well, first I want to say that this is election day when this episode is coming out in the U.S., so I would encourage you to vote, especially if your politics align with mine. (laughs) (laughs) And my news is that I'm pregnant. That's one reason we're talking about baby naming today. Yay! By the time the episode comes out, I'll be 19 weeks pregnant, and I'm very excited to share with all of you and to have a new person in our family come springtime. I am excited about all of that as well. Thanks. What's new with you, Sarah? My news is less exciting. As listeners know, I am an underbuyer. And so I often just make do when spending $20 might greatly improve my life. (laughs) But times are changing. When the weather got cold last week, I decided that I did not want to be sad and angry this Mm. winter that I wanted to feel warm and cozy. So I made a few purchases, and I am very happy that I have done so. Things I have bought include a liner for my helmet that has fleece in it, Mm. so you don't have to wear a hat underneath it. It's just connected to the helmet. Mm. The kids got these last year, but I held off on getting one for myself, and no more. Used it several times. Love it. Also, for biking, I got bar mitts, which are these giant mittens that fit on the handlebars. Oh, cool. You just stick your hands into them because one of the problems is you can't wear big enough gloves and still operate the controls of the bike. And the same way that using mittens isn't effective to be able to still switch gears. Got it. These allow you to wear thinner gloves where you still have finger dexterity, but are still warm because they're encapsulated in this large mitten that stays on your handlebars. So is it kind of like a huge muff that's all the way over the entire handlebar setup? What's it like? There's two, so one on each side. Okay, and they encompass the gear shift Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. brakes and whatever. Cool. Yes, and some of them go all the way up your forearms (sighs) so that it's really keeping you warm. That's awesome. Mine are slightly less intense than that, but that's also because... We have a slightly less intense winter. They're also known as pogies. Lots of them are used in Alaska for Iditarod-type races. Nice. (laughs) Which will not be participating in any of those. Just trying to bike for 15 minutes without losing feeling in my fingers. Sounds great. And around the house, I also invested in some slippers, which should be arriving this week, to keep my feet nice and toasty on our cold tile floors. Feeling good about all that spending, which is the best way to feel. (laughs) Now let's talk about what we've been reading. Abby, what is your latest read? This summer I read Strange the Dreamer and then its sequel, Muse of Nightmares, just came out. Both of these are YA fantasy fiction by Lainey Taylor and they're a duology, so they're connected. Basically, the books follow two protagonists, Laszlo Strange and Sarai. I really liked the second book much more, so I'm going to talk about Mm. what I liked about that one. So strong characters, especially the accessory characters, so sort of the supporting Mm. roles I felt like were really well-developed and likable. The second book had great pacing, good balance in terms of action and character development. And then I really loved the ending. It was a good drawing together of two plot lines. 
and it felt satisfying without feeling like it was wrapped up in a bow. Which is hard to accomplish in YA fiction, especially. Definitely. I think it tends toward the happily ever after, which Mm -hmm. is not usually unsatisfying for me, to be honest, but I appreciated that there was more nuance in this one. I did not love the first book. It came highly recommended from a friend of mine, and I chose it as one of my local book club reads. And so I felt like I had to finish it, but I'm not sure that I would have if it was not the one that I recommended. (laughs) But because I like the second book so well, I am glad that I read it. But the things that were tough for me about the first book were that it was really slow in some parts, and then things went super fast. Mm -hmm. So the pacing was off. The second half of the book for me was so much teen angst and romance drama Mm. that Mm -hmm. I was just like kind of gagging about that. (laughs) And then the whole world of the book is based on a very intense history of sexual violence in the background. Mm -hmm. And so because the first book had to go into all of that to get to where they were, Mm -hmm. that was hard. The other thing about both of these books that I didn't really get is... You read reviews to feel validated in your own feelings. Yes. And I read reviews specifically of Strange the Dreamer, the first one, that said that they thought that the language was just incredibly beautiful Mm -hmm. and were quoting these passages. And I was like, hmm, that just doesn't work for me in the way that it seems to work for you, random person on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) So that was just kind of strange. What was the consensus of your book club? Did they validate your feelings or were there differing opinions? Honestly, I liked the book less after our book club discussion. I think Mm. some things hit people more strongly than they did me. And in thinking back on them, I was like, you're right. That was kind of not great. (laughs) And so that definitely changed my experience of reading it. But I think to make it a little more subjective, a little more accurate, maybe to a broader experience... I would recommend this medium, especially for YA fantasy fans. I think it's within the genre. If you can handle teenage angst and sexual violence, you'll probably like it fine. But really, the second book was pretty good. So if you can make it through the first one, I think it's worth it to get to the second one. Could you read the second one without reading the first one? Maybe. Maybe if you just read a synopsis, it would be enough. Hmm. All right. What have you been reading, Sarah? I just read The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. This is one I heard about on the podcast We Live Here when they did an interview with the author. Got it. This is a nonfiction book that goes into the history of segregation in housing in our country after Reconstruction. Mm. He describes the difference between de facto and de jure segregation, Mm. where people like to think that housing is de facto segregation, where those are just choices people make and they happen to be segregated. And the reality is that our government policies strongly influenced the housing segregation we have today Hmm. and then proceeds to go through the many different ways in which that happened. It is incredibly informative. It highlighted once again how the history I was taught in school did not cover these topics and glossed over so many things. And also just how important it is that we understand how we got to where we are if we want to be able to truly move forward. It is a dense, slow read, but I don't think that's a bad thing because the topic is so heavy. You just have to go into it with the right mindset of there are going to be a ton of facts and a lot of information to absorb. It's not a book that you race through. 
For me, it's been particularly illuminating as I've been thinking a lot about our educational system Mm. and the ways in which one school district can have schools that are considered good and schools that are considered bad and how we can have such a different education across a small geographic area. And so much of that is tied to housing and the ways in which we've set up our cities and the zoning laws. And knowing more about that has helped me gain a much richer understanding of how we got to where we are. Sounds really important. Yes. I would absolutely recommend it. And if you're not ready to commit to the book right now, I'll link to the podcast that I had, which covers a lot of the ideas in really broad strokes. And then the book goes into more depth. Nice. Let's move into our main segment for today, which is naming babies. (laughs) Before we get into the meat of the conversation, we both wanted to share a little bit about why we've decided not to use our kids' names on the podcast, since we're going to do a whole episode about baby names and not actually tell you what we have named our children. (laughs) I didn't want to share Plum's name either in my blog, which I don't write in anymore, or on the podcast, because there's a lot already that I am sharing about her life. It feels like that would be just one more thing that draws her into being a semi-public figure without her consenting to it. Mm -hmm. And the world is so connected that it's not something that she can escape from ever in her life. And putting her name on it just felt like that was one more way of it being really permanent of a choice that I am Mm -hmm. making for her. And I acknowledge that I have already made lots of choices for her Mm -hmm. by even having a podcast where we talk about parenting and our children. But my hope is that this big thing helps preserve some of that for her to decide for herself in the future. Mm -hmm. What about you? I would agree with everything that you said, and I think especially because I share a last name with my kids, Mm. that it feels even more important not to share their first name so that I can protect their privacy to the extent possible in the age we live in. They might grow up and not care at all if I use their real names, but I can't know that right now, and I want to err on the side of being overly cautious. Mm Mm-hmm. And I sometimes feel really disappointed about this because I love Plum's name a lot. Mm -hmm. And I would love for everyone else to love it with me. Plus, I really love hearing about other public figures. Yes. Even bloggers. I love hearing about what they have named their kids Mm -hmm. and feeling inspired and excited about that. So it's not something that I came to lightly, but I do think that it feels like the right thing for now. Mm Mm-hmm. And it also feels like something that I could change in the other direction at any point. Right. That I could decide to share my kids' names, but I can't decide to unshare them. Let's move into how we came to the names that we decided on. Can you describe your naming style and compare that with your partner's naming style in terms of how you went about choosing a name or are in the process currently? The best way to describe it is that I am the idea generator or finder, or searcher, Mm -hmm. and that Andrew has veto power, which makes it sound a little like he's not involved and he's just like, no, 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 but he cares deeply about what we name our children. And so this is actually a good balance for us. 
And sometimes Andrew suggests names, but I'm really picky. (laughs) So mostly I think that has led to him just letting me make the suggestions and him voicing an opinion one way or the other. Baby naming is actually one of our favorite road trip pastimes. So for Plum's name, we had a boy name and girl name picked out years before I was even pregnant. And it's so interesting because it's really different naming a second kid Mm. because it feels like the timeline is shrunk way down. We have a great boy name picked out, but the girl name this round is still a little bit in flux. And I would love to go into birth loving both the boy choice and girl choice, which is how I felt going into Plum's birth. So if you have girl name suggestions, send them my way. (laughs) What is your naming style as a family, Sarah? Ours is similar to what you described, that I come up with the ideas. I love thinking about it. Mm. I love perusing names. Me too. I love researching names. Neil does not find a deep joy in that process the way that I do. (laughs) But he is also very opinionated, mostly in the negative. (laughs) Sometimes I found that frustrating, but mostly not. If the roles had been reversed, I probably also would have been mostly negative about the things that he suggested because really there's only a few names that you're both going to agree on. Mm -hmm. It never felt bad to me and I wanted to be the one looking into things. And I love an investment from the partner. Mm -hmm. If Andrew just was like, whatever, name the kid whatever you want, I think I would feel more frustrated about that Yes, Yes. than about him having strong opinions, even if it is mostly Mm veto-type opinions. (laughs) Right. Yes. So we've established that Everyone involved in naming the children in our families <laughs> has a strong opinion. Uh-huh. What style of names do you prefer? And is that similar or different to what Andrew prefers? I think he and I have similar taste overall, mm-hmm. which is good. And honestly, we probably came to that taste together after years of discussing it in the car on road trips. I mean, <laughs> literally years. Yeah. We've been married a decade Probably we've been discussing it for at least that long. I'm sure. I remember in college you telling me the names of your future four children, (laughs) two boys and two girls, and you had first and middle names picked out. And that was around the same time that you and Andrew started dating. I've always (laughs) loved names. So for us, family names and names with meaning are very important. I would say we prefer less popular, though the girl name that is tops on our list right now is quite popular. Mm-hmm. which is a little bit of a deviation. But along with that, we prefer more traditional names. So even if they're popular now, it's names that we feel like are going to have staying power mm-hmm. that are not going to sound like 2010s baby names. Right. Our favorite test of a name is the Supreme Court Justice Test, hmm. which is can you imagine your child being announced as the Honorable so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And if you can't, if it does not have the gravitas appropriate to that situation, then it's off the table. Hmm. I have never heard of that, but it makes a lot of sense. And I think both my children's names would pass that test. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, all the ones that we have on our list right now got there because they score high in that metric. What style of names do you like in your family, Sarah? We also love traditional names and less popular ones. Although I will say that the criteria of being less popular is more important to Neil Mm. than it is to me. Interesting. And I find that curious since I am the one with the very common name. Right. There were three Sarah Elizabeths in my kindergarten classroom. Wow. I was always known 
as Sarah Kay growing up because I don't even know if I had an elementary school class without another Sarah in it. Probably not. Where he grew up with a name that is much less common. There aren't very many Neils. So you'd think that I would be the one who wanted to give my kid the less popular name Mm. since I had the experience of it and he didn't. So he's assuming what that experience would be like and thinking that it wouldn't be what he wants for his kid. Yeah. Interesting. There were definitely times where I thought it would be better to have a more unique name, but I love having a really traditional name now and it doesn't bother me at all. So it wasn't something that I felt like I needed to avoid for my kids. That's so interesting because Abigail was not popular Mm -hmm. when I was growing up. And I always felt so sad that there were never little souvenirs that said Abigail or Abby. Yeah. We started seeing more of them as the name got more popular. And now the name Abigail is so popular. Clearly, I started a trend, or my parents did, in naming (laughs) me. But it felt harder for me when I was young to have a less popular name. Mm -hmm. But it's so funny that that wasn't how it was for Deal. But, you know, the thing is, I bet he does not care about souvenirs (laughs) like that. (laughs) That is true. I'm sure he did not care about that. And I think it just speaks, though, that both of us feel fine about the ways in which we were named. Mm -hmm. Probably any kid is going to have some pushback, no matter which direction you go on their name, at some point in their childhood. But I think that as adults, we all just grow to accept and appreciate the names that we were given. Yes. Now I absolutely love my name. But many names were rejected by Neil because they were too popular. Wow. And this isn't like top 10 names. It's like top 500 and they were out. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) That limited our options. We've also learned that you cannot control, as you have noted with Abigail, names change in popularity. So one of our children's name has become more popular since we chose it. And that's another reason why I don't put too much stock in that because it really shifts pretty fast. Yes, for sure. We also use family names I do like that sense of history and connection and that there's some meaning beyond just we liked the name. Mm, mm -hmm. The only thing about family names is it can feel a bit tricky in that you can't honor all the people that you might like to in your family history. Mm -hmm. Right. We use family names and really like using them. But because Plum's name is a very family name, Mm -hmm. it's also hard to find names we like as well that have as much family meaning for Mm -hmm. this next child. And then it would feel a little bit weird if there was no family connection. Exactly. So I like parallelism in the names in terms of lots of things. Tell me more about that, how much you're thinking about how the sibling names will fit together and in which ways you're hoping to do that. Well, one example is that I really love nicknames and feel strongly about our children having a longer name and then nearly exclusively using a nickname. Which both you and Andrew do that in your name. Yeah, so I'm Abby and I've always been Abby. And Andrew is actually Andrew's middle name and he's always been Andrew. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's why I feel that way because it's always been that way for me and I like having the options. Mm -hmm. But it also is limiting given that we've given Plum a longer name but call her a shorter name Mm -hmm. to find a longer name that we like as well with a nickname that we also like as well. And then having both the full names and the nicknames go together with the siblings. Yes, exactly. It's a high bar. For sure. What do you guys do about nicknames? I knew that I wanted to call my kids by their given names, but I also am very open to having nicknames. HP goes by his full name, but E often goes by a nickname. 
Although it's different by family member that me and HP almost exclusively call her by her nickname, Mm -hmm. where Neil almost exclusively calls her by her full Mm. name. And we've also made the choice that in school or church or anything where we're filling out forms, she goes by her full name Mm -hmm. because I want that to be a choice that she's making if she wants her nickname to become the name she goes by Mm. as she gets older, that she can choose it. Interesting. And I also love the name we gave her. And I love the nickname. So I don't want the name we gave her to fade into the background. I want that to be something that she's used to being called and likes being called Uh and that feels easy to step into. Whereas if we exclusively called her by the nickname, I think calling her by her full name might not be as equal of a choice for her. Yeah. I mean, for instance, Plum, I don't think knows what her full name is. She only knows her nickname because we use it to the exclusion of all other names. And when you sign her up for school, it's under her nickname. Well, we use her full name, you know, on official forms. And for instance, the pediatrician is the one who calls her by her full name, which is kind of Mm -hmm. funny. But there's usually a space for preferred name. So we always put her nickname there. Yeah. When does the name you chose become public among friends and family? Do you wait until the birth to announce or is it pretty much a known quantity going in? We have a very tight circle who we let in pre-birth. Part of that is because we like to not find out the sex of our babies before they're born. And so having two choices feels a little weird to say, this baby could be this name or this name. Right. It's not like you're saying, everybody meet this baby coming in spring. It's like, Mm -hmm. meet this baby of currently unknown biological sex, who we may name this or this. That just feels awkward. (laughs) So we do not announce it widely. I do tell close friends, especially once we've settled. For instance, you and I talk about names pre-actual official naming, Mm -hmm. just because that's something that we love to do. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. But we keep it pretty close to the vest. Another reason for that is that I don't particularly want other people's opinions because I'm someone who, once I make up my mind, I don't actually care what other people think. Mm -hmm. I feel very confident in my own decision-making abilities. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need all the opinions from everyone else. Yeah. I also love what I love and know that other people will grow to love it once they meet the child, (laughs) right? even if they weren't in love with it when they first hear it. Uh But at the same time, I do like sharing it with people I'm close to, like you said, close friends and a few family members that I like to bounce ideas off of. Mm -hmm. But we definitely don't say, this is what it will be if it's a boy, this is what it will be if it's a girl, and have it as nailed down as you did. Especially with E, she... You were texting me in the hospital. Yes. Saying, please Google these names and tell me the meanings of them or something or how That's popular true, they are. because I didn't have a smartphone. Then. Yes. Yes. I'm sure it was how popular they were. <laughs> awesome. Although that was different, too, because I wasn't expecting her for another month. So it did feel very rushed. Right. And we were actually more settled on a girl's name with her than with the boy's name. The boy's name was very up in the air going in to the birth that time. And with HP, we had it pretty narrowed down. And then once we met him, it was, is this the name? Do you think this is the name? Okay, it's the name. It wasn't a foregone conclusion. Mm -hmm. And even if we mostly know what we want, I also like having that piece to announce after the birth. Yeah. That both the sex is a surprise and that the name is a surprise. Mm -hmm. I love that too. Do you find it easier to come up with a boy name or a girl name? Or are they both fairly equal for you? 
I think boy names have actually been easier for us both times. Hmm. Maybe because feels like there are fewer choices in general. I think that is true. Good boy names, mm-hmm. at least that fit my very stringent criteria. <laughs> or maybe it was just luck that we kind of hit on the ones we loved that felt right more quickly. Mm-hmm. What about you? I found it so much easier to come up with girl names than boy names. Mm. And in my first pregnancy, we had a girl name picked out pretty early on. And the boy name was really down to the wire. And then, as I've already said, we did not know what we were going to name a boy going in. We had one that was slightly ahead of the pack, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't in love with it. But it was the best that we could agree on. (laughs) (laughs) And we ended up using for E the name we had picked out if HP were to be a girl. Okay. Though... That wasn't set in stone. As you'd said, I was still deciding hours after she had been born (laughs) what her name was going to be. A bit. (laughs) We've already established that both of us have always loved thinking of names. Mm -hmm. Were there names that you loved in your younger years that then faded away by the time you were actually ready to name a child? It's so funny that you have that very clear memory of me naming four children, two boys and two Mm -hmm. girls, because I don't remember what those names were. Oh, I could tell you some of them. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. Tell me. For boys, it was Jamie and Liam. Oh, yeah. Liam, I definitely still love. And for girls, it was Piper. Oh, yeah. Was one. Not surprised by that either. And I'm trying to think what the other girl's name was. It might come to me. That's so funny. I think Piper now is not traditional enough for where our family is on naming. Mm. I had a baby name book when I was young and was obsessed with naming future children, clearly, (laughs) because you remember it. (laughs) Lydia is one that I remembered in thinking through Mm. this that was definitely a favorite, but it's not anywhere on the list now. Liam I still love, but it is also really popular. I love that name, though. It's a good name. It's so good. What about you? Do you have names from your youthful naming days? Yes. My favorite names were Leah, Mm. which I still love. Me too. It was too popular for Neil. I also loved Claire, spelled without the I, Mm. so just C-L-A-R-E. I think that was the name of the main character in The Time Traveler's Wife. Oh, yes. I think that's right. And I just loved the way it looked. I loved how simple it was. I just found it so beautiful. But once again, too popular for Neil. (laughs) Do you have any names that got away? Ones that you really loved, but maybe your partner didn't, or in my case ones that we didn't get to use because we were done having children. So if Plum had had boy parts, we were going to name her after Andrew, and she would have been the fourth. Mm -hmm. So he's the third. She would have been the fourth. But we were going to go totally rogue with that nickname, like nothing related to either of his names. I love that about your naming conventions. (laughs) And call her Dax. Mm -hmm. And the hilarious and amazing thing about this name is that about a year after we had Plum... We had friends who we'd been close with when we were in Nashville and had not kept in super close touch with when we moved here, but they had a baby boy and named him Dax without us ever having talked about it. I just love that that was somewhere in the collective unconscious, that that name was amazing (laughs) and that they used it. (laughs) And when we let them know about this current pregnancy... She emailed back and said, feel free to use the name Dax if it's a boy. (laughs) And I was like, thanks. I appreciate that. What are your names that got away, Sarah? My favorite names that I loved, but there was not a consensus among the partnership, (laughs) were for a boy, Amos 
or Amen. Oh, yeah. I loved both of those. I loved those too. And then for a girl, I really loved Edith and Maeve and Evelyn mm. were the three names that I really liked, but that Neil never fully got on board. If E had been a boy, the name that was the front runner, even though I did not love it as much as Amos or Amen, <laughs> was Davis Kurt, which I still love. And I'm sure at this point, if E had been a boy, I would really, really love right. in the way that names grow on you when you know the humans that they are attached to. Definitely. We really wanted to use Henry, which is a family name on Neil's side, but it was too popular for Neil. And my sister's dog is named Henry. <laughs> and I didn't want our kid to be known as Henry the human totally. in contrast to Henry the dog. So that was scrapped. The other one I'll say is that for boys, we were down to two names. And HP was almost Kale Walden. I still love that name. <laughs> I was team Kale Walden. I'm not now, I would say, because I really love HP's name. Mm-hmm. But I was about you naming your kid that. I was like, yep, yeah. do it. <laughs> it was the front runner for a long time. And it also had significance for us in terms of the initials, mm. that there were males on both sides of the family with those initials. And it was hard for me to find K names that we liked Mm. because there are any number of names that I enjoy with that sound. But to me, if it's traditionally supposed to be spelled with a C, then I think it should be spelled with a C. Got it. Kale Walden is just interesting to me in that it's really a very different feel from the name we went with and much crunchier and contemporary and feels really different than HP. Absolutely. It's interesting to think about if you'd had a Kale Walden first, how that might have influenced the naming of future siblings in terms of the sort of feeling and theme of the names in your family. I wonder if that would have influenced me because I think I thought about that less about which names go Mm -hmm. with HP's name. That wasn't a huge consideration for us. But who knows? Maybe I would have put more thought into finding a matching name. We may never know. What about resources for finding and researching baby names? The first one and the one that I use just basically like an index is nameberry.com. This is just one of these huge sites that has lots of meanings and names. It also grabs the rankings of names from the previous year from the social security site. Mm -hmm. Two blogs that I love for naming are one called Appalachian Mountain. I also follow her on Facebook. Her name is also Abby and love the discussions there. Swizzle is one where people write into this woman and she gives advice and I love Mm. her naming advice. I have a question about the concept of a baby naming blog Uh in general. This was not a resource that I utilized during my pregnancies. So is there new content regularly? Do they feature certain names and talk about Mm -hmm. it? I guess I'm not understanding what the posts themselves would be about. Because I've only used index-type resources. Yeah, so Appalachian Mountain, I would say, is a more traditional blog. So it's not the advice blog like Swizzle is. Okay. But she does feature different names. She makes lists of names. She puts lists together of, if you like this name, maybe you should consider this Mm. less popular list as well, which is really nice. She makes lists with variations on names. So if you like the name Helen, maybe you'd like to honor someone in your life named Helen, but Helen isn't really doing it for you. She has Mm -hmm. this whole list of Helen-adjacent names that you might also want to choose. This sounds like a job that you should have. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) when I I found this blog, I was like, ah, 
I'm a little late because this already exists, but it's so good. (laughs) And then I think both Swissle and Abby of Appalachian Mountain offer consults where people pay to get advice about the names. Fascinating. And then the comment section of both of these blogs tend to be pretty active. Okay. So that folks who also love names, like me, are weighing in Mm -hmm. on questions or giving other ideas. It's very enjoyable. Yeah. I could see myself going down a rabbit hole if I were to be on that site, especially while pregnant. I've definitely (laughs) been in those rabbit holes. The last resource I want to mention is a Facebook group called One Bad Name That Nugget. And this is affiliated with the One Bad Mother podcast. So you have to be part of the big group on Facebook to join this group. Mm -hmm. But it's a group of several hundred, I think, by this point, people who also love naming babies. But we talk about other things in there, too, like naming pets and names that got away and naming businesses. Mm. You do love all kinds of things. (laughs) I only like thinking about human names, Uh but you are really an excellent namer all around. The names that we give things are so powerful. Mm -hmm. It's just a really fun thought process for me to think about how different people come to that in different ways. It does feel like a really big responsibility. Mm. And I really felt that weight when I was naming my kids, that it's this very permanent thing that's going to influence their everyday life. There aren't very many other decisions quite like it. It's true. So Sarah, what baby naming resources do you recommend? I just have one to contribute. This one is another indexing site. It's called Baby Name Wizard, and it's the name Voyager part of that. It's a graph. And you can type in the name, and it shows the popularity over time. Oh, cool. And it goes back to the 1890s. So you can see, like, this name was really popular in the early 1900s Mm. and has faded off but is on an upswing. So you can kind of start to see some of the trends as they're happening. And because popularity was so important in our discussions, Mm -hmm. it was what I went to immediately upon finding a name in order to know how viable that was going to be for our family. No sense in continuing to discuss it if it turns out to be in the top 500. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was 200 that he felt very strongly about. That's fair. He's a reasonable person. (laughs) Listeners, we would love to hear if you have other resources that you recommend in which we can lose hours of our lives researching various names. We would also love to hear how this process went for you and how you came to the names that you chose. Let's end, as we always do, by sharing what we've been eating lately. I have recently discovered Dots pretzels. Have you had these before? I do not know what this is. No. Okay. So a friend of ours brought these pretzels to a couple of playdates, and E really loved them. And she asked if we could find them. And I said, sure. And I went to the Hmm. grocery store and we couldn't find them. And I thought, that's strange. Asked the bearer of the pretzels where to procure them. And she said that you can't get them here, that it's from North Dakota. It's a special North Dakotan pretzel. (laughs) Yes. And her in-laws bring them down from Wisconsin. So there must be other places you can get them. But Bloomington, Indiana is not one of them. They are so good. They do not say they're flavored pretzels. Mm. They just say Dots pretzels. They are flavored pretzels. E calls them spicy pretzels, even though they're not spicy. E got one bag of these as a present from that friend for her birthday. Uh And I was just eating them and thinking about how much joy they were bringing to my life. I'm researching (laughs) online where I can find these. They do sell them on Amazon, and you can order them from Dots pretzels. But 
if you have a way to access these in your life, it is worth it. And I have not yet made a bulk purchase online, but I am seriously considering it because they are delicious. Listeners, if you want to make Sarah the happiest she's ever been, send her these pretzels from your home in the northern U.S. I would be unable to repay you if that happened. (laughs) What have you been eating, Abby? This is a variation on a baked potato that I want to share. I talked a while ago about making Instant Pot baked potatoes, which Mm -hmm. we are continuing to do. But last night I hit on a new amazing topping combo. Okay. So we had cooked brown lentils left from making lentil quesadillas. So I made the potatoes, put the lentils on, put tons of butter and cheese like I normally do on a baked potato, and then put salsa and sour cream on top. Mm -hmm. And I am calling it the Fiesta Lentil Baked Potato. It was good because it added protein without having to get meat in there. Mm Mm-hmm. And the lentil texture is something that I love that I know you don't love, but Andrew and I both Mm. love it. Depends on the context, because I've had a baked potato with lentils that I did love. Although this one had a yogurt sauce, kind Mm. of like a tzatziki sauce with the garlic. Mm -hmm. So lentils plus that for the creaminess, adding cheese on top of that, and then roasted broccoli, which that was really good. And I have made that at home, too. That sounds amazing. It makes me wonder what other things I could add. Like I could see sautéed peppered and onions being really good with the Mm. fiesta style. Mm -hmm. But then also, like you're saying, maybe there is another ethnic direction I could go with the lentil flavor, Mm -hmm. like a curry or something on the baked potato that would Mm. be really good. Have you perfected the Instant Pot baked potato? And if so, can you share your secret? I just cut them in half to make sure they're cooked all the way through. That's a good secret. Okay. How long do you cook it? I did 15 minutes on manual with natural pressure release. And they were really well cooked. The skin was kind of falling off. I think you could do a little bit less time, Mm -hmm. like 12 minutes, and it would still be good. I would prefer a mushy over an undercooked, though. Then go for 15, my friend. Will do. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. Listeners, we want to point out that this election day of 2018 is a two-year anniversary of when our podcast originally released. Yay! Thank you to those of you who have been with us all along and those of you who have joined us along the way. It has been great talking with you all. Indeed. You can find us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. Basically, the books follow two protagonists, Laszlo Strange and the name of the one that I didn't write down. Let me think for a minute. All right. Uh, did we cover all that about different names? We do. You did nicknames. Nice transition. By oh my the way. god! I am I the queen it. of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs>